too many contraptions. <laughs> if you got your Bibles, let's turn to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. What I want to talk to you about for the remainder of our time this morning is made straight. Made straight. We've all been crooked in one sense of the terminology or another. But uh, I am so thankful that God showed up in my life. And uh, He made me straight. He straightened out the curves and the bends and the crooks in my life. Now, I think about where those bends and crooks and curves and things came from. Of course, we realize our founding father Adam in the garden when he sinned against a holy God by believing the lie of the devil rather than the truth of God. That brought sin into the world. Because of that sin, all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous. No, not one. But God knew that Adam was going to sin and He had already prepared a way that would straighten out those bends, those curves, those crooks in our lives. There's a story here in Luke chapter 13 where to begin in verse 11 and go through verse 16. It's about a little lady that that has been what the Bible calls bowed together bowed together i i uh, i remember when we built the daycare my son and daughter-in-law own it and are running it now thank you lord and uh but uh one of the guys that did some of the work there was uh was an old black guy that did the concrete work and uh he was in his 70s and had been doing concrete work all of his life and uh when i met him he was bent over like this, and he was working. And I thought, you know, he was bent over just because he was working. But when I talked to him, he let go of what he was doing, and he walked over to where I was to talk to me, and he walked just like this. And the more I talked to him, I was waiting on him to stand up, but he never did. And I found out that he, he couldn't. He had been doing that type of work for so long that I don't know whether it was osteoporosis or arthritis or what it was that had set up in his back, but uh, he was bowed or bowed together the way that this woman in the Scriptures are. He could not stand up. Oh, I, I don't know whether he was in pain or not. He smiled. He talked. Uh, he kept working. As a matter of fact, even in his 70s, he was working some of them younger guys under the table uh, out there on that concrete. And concrete, I've done concrete work. Concrete work is grueling. It's hard. It hurts you, and especially in the summertime when it's hot. But uh, that guy, he was, he was a worker. But uh, my friend, I want you to take a look at these verses, and it begins in verse 10, and it reads like this. And He, uh, Christ is who we're talking about, the Lord was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years. She had been in this condition and was bowed together and could not in any wise lift herself up. When Jesus saw her, He called her to Himself and said unto her, Woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. 
And the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day. Mm. He said unto the people, There are six days in which men ought to work. Uh, In them, therefore, come and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. And the Lord answered him and said, Thou hypocrite, doth not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to water him? And ought not this woman, being the daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound, lo, these eighteen years, be loosed from the bond on the Sabbath day? Let's pray. Father, we love You. We thank You for Your message to us here today. From this story that happened oh so long ago. God, I don't believe it's a parable. I believe that everybody around knew exactly who You were talking about. God, how I pray that You'll move in our hearts and in our lives. God, that You'll straighten out our curves. God, where we're bent, while we're bowed over and cannot in any way straighten ourselves out. Help us, God, to be submissive and to be faithful to You, to Your will, to Your way, to Your Word. God, we'll give You the praise and the glory for that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, I want you to notice in verse 11. We'll back up just a little bit. In verse 11 it says, And behold, there was a woman which had uh, a spirit of infirmity for 18 years and, and was bowed together. Bowed together. I, I get the picture of, of that being crooked. She was crooked and she was stooped over and she couldn't fix herself. I think we as a nation, America, uh, have progressed so far in, in what we call uh, medicine. And we have all of the remedies for everything in the world under the sun. And we've come up with so many doctors and uh, I think it was uh, Brother Leo that said there were so many $400 words in our Sunday school class this morning, he didn't know which way was up. But uh, I believe that there are more names like that for doctors and for their specialties and for the things that they do and the medicines that they use than there was in our lesson this morning, brother. There's a lot of medicinal things going on. We've forgotten that a lot of the ailments that come into people's lives these days, we don't realize that not all sickness is physical, but a great deal of it, I believe, is spiritual. We have spiritual ailments that come out in physical maladies. Physical ailments that attack our body. And the first thing we want to do, instead of praying and going to God, going to the the doctor of heaven, that we want to run down to Dr. Moe or to somebody that can give us a pill and make us feel better. We're only worried about really healing the symptoms rather than the cause. There was a cause behind this lady's crookedness. There are several reasons why people get physically sick due to the spiritual realm. Sometimes uh, this is true, as you can see in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 15 through uh, 35, because of sin. Sin can bring ailments into our lives. Did you know that sin 
Sin itself can make you feel bad. Sin itself can make you sick. Sin itself can actually bring even and unleash diseases in your life. And you'll think, well, this is a physical disease. I need a physical doctor. No, I need a spiritual doctor for a spiritual ailment. Now, it doesn't hurt to go to doctors, and I'm not saying that you don't need to go to your doctor and take your medicine. Don't go outside and say the preacher said we don't need to go to the doctor anymore. That's not true. God gave us doctors and medicines. But it's not always due to physical things. Sometimes it is spiritual. Sometimes it is sin. But it's not always sin. As a matter of fact, you can look at Job. You can look at Paul. And it seems that even this lady was under attack in order to bring glory and honor to God. You say, how in the world can ailment and sickness bring glory and honor to God? Well, I'm glad you asked because sickness and ailment can bring a lot of glory to God. As a matter of fact, the first sickness was when Adam and Eve ate the fruit in the garden. And in the day that you eat thereof, you'll surely die. And God was looking at His back window when that happened and allowed it to take place. Why? For His glory and His honor. It is impossible for God to get glory and honor for being gracious if there's nobody to be gracious to. It's impossible for God to get glory and honor for being just if there's nobody to be just to. So He allows sin. He allows sickness. He allows these things to come into our lives that He might get glory and honor out of it. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 9 and verse 3, Jesus answered and said, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents. You remember the blind man in John chapter 9 where uh, He healed the blind man. And the Pharisees came and they were fussing about Jesus healing again on the Sabbath day. And he was they were grilling Him. Who, who was it? That, that healed you? Well, I, I don't know. He just came. He spit. He anointed my eyes. He told me to go wash. I went and washed. I came and I saw. That's all I know. If you want to know any more, you need to go and ask Him. It was this man named Jesus. I don't know who He is. But if you'll go ask Him. And finally they asked. And they said, who, who was it that sinned? Was it this man that sinned that caused his blindness? Or was it his parents that sinned that caused his blindness? He says, no, it was neither. He was born blind that God might show His power in His life. God allows ailments to come into our lives that He might be glorified. Satan doesn't only do this to people in the physical realm, but also in the spiritual realm. Satan attacks like he did Job. And you say, well, you know, it's not just a spiritual attack that Satan does in our life. But remember what happened to Job. Uh, He touched his body, gave him boils from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. And yet Job would not curse God and die, which is what his wife told him to do. But he told his wife, woman, you sound like a foolish person. God has been so good to me all of my life. How in the world could I cuss a God that has been as good to me? As he has been. It's always Satan's business to bow people down and bow down the souls of men to the tune of the world. This godless system that we live in. Sin always makes a crook in the mind and the will and the emotions. It always breaks down our souls uh, to by its, its power in our lives. And sin does have power in our lives. So bound by the love of the world are most people that they cannot lift their face towards heaven, towards the Word of God, towards the God of the Word. 
and find a cure for their ailment, for their ailment. Secondly, not only do we see the crook in verse 11, but we also see the helplessness of this person. You look again at verse 11, and, and behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and, and uh, was bowed and bowed together and could in no wise lift herself up. She was absolutely helpless, powerless to be able to physically straighten her body out. Well, may I say that those of us that are bound by sin, that we are bent, we are crooked, we are, we are bound by sin. We can in no wise straighten ourselves out. We can't fix what it is that is wrong with us any more than this woman. It was impossible for her to straighten herself out, maybe working in the field, kind of like the guy that I was talking about. There was a concrete worker had left her in that deformed position that he was in and unable to... You know, I realize that a man cannot do what he will not do, and a man will not do what he cannot do, obviously, because he cannot do it. But the same reason as that he cannot do it, he will not do it. He will not do it because he cannot, but he cannot sometimes because he will not. Now a man will not believe in Jesus Christ and as long as we are bound by that dilemma, as long as we cannot or will not do that, then, then obviously a man cannot do what he has zero desire to do. But there are a lot of people who want to straighten themselves out. They pull themselves up by the bootstraps. They go to church. They read their Bible. They listen to the preaching of God's Word. They leave just like they came. Lost. Separated from God. Still broken by sin. Bent. Bowed together, if you will. And the reason is, is that what they're doing is a physical effort in a physical person to have a physical uh, cure for a spiritual ailment. My friend, until we bend the knee and bow the head and surrender our hearts and our lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter how often you Oh, I want you to come to church. Don't get me wrong. Because the more you come to church, the more you put yourself in the spiritual environment to hear the Word and to have the Word of God saturate your mind, saturate your soul. And the more the Word of God is poured into your heart, poured into your mind, the more opportunity you have for the Holy Spirit of God to convict, illuminate, regenerate, and draw and save you. But until a person comes, not to church, but to Christ. Do you understand that it's not, it's not the Word of God? It's not the house of God? but that it is the God of the house. It's the God of the Word. It's the Lordship of Jesus Christ that releases us from the bondage. You see, we are hopeless and helpless because we are bound by sin. But it's the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for our sins that releases us from that bondage. I've mentioned before about people who, who don't believe, cannot believe, and will not believe. But you look at Second Peter in chapter 2 and verse 20 through 22 and you have this. It says, For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. How do people escape the pollutions of the world? Well, they come into the church. Have they been saved? No. No, they just come to church. They start reading their Bible. They start listening to the Word of God. As long as they're in here under the umbrella of the grace of God, they've escaped the pollutions of the world that are on the outside of this place. 
But my friend, until we bend the knee and bow the head and surrender our hearts and our lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, when you go out from under this umbrella of protection, you're back in the exact same condition. Back in the exact same position that you were in when you walked in. It goes on to say this, For if after they have escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they again are entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. Why? Well, because they've heard the word of truth. Now they are... Well, we're more accountable to God because we know, we've heard, we understand what it is that has us bound. It's not arthritis or scoliosis. It's it's sin. It's unbelief. It is a, a rejection of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And if we understand that and know that and we hear that and we go out of the back door, back out into the world and continue living the same life that we've always lived, then the end, that means the hell that you experience, will be worse than the beginning if you'd experienced hell without ever hurting the Word of God, hearing the Word of God, then your hell wouldn't be quite as hot. My friend, I'm telling you that this morning I'm either your best friend or your worst enemy because I'm telling you the truth of how to be freed from the bondage of sin by grace through faith. And if you came here lost and you leave here lost and you die on your way home, It'll be worse for you than if you'd have never come to this place. But it says this, For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb that the dog is turned to his own vomit and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. If you come in a dog and you leave a dog, Listen, if you come in a sheep and you don't know it, the Holy Spirit's going to convict you and illuminate you and draw you to Himself. And you surrender your heart and your life to Christ. My friend, if you are a hog, then you, if you're a sow, if you're a pig, you will leave this place and you will regret it. We see the crooked. We see the helplessness of those who are bent and bowed and bowed by sin. But thirdly, we see there is hope. There's a hopefulness in Christ. You look at verse 10 and 11. We'll back up one more verse. It says, He was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. That's an amazing thing to me that Christ, the, the, head of, the leader of Christianity, is teaching in a Jewish synagogue. I want you to realize that we are still in Old Testament territory, even in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because Jesus Christ was a practicing Jew. Even though He was the head of Christianity, He is a practicing Jew. And He's in Judaism. He's in a synagogue. He's teaching the Word of God. And notice again in verse 11 what happens. It says, Behold, there was a woman which had the spirit of infirmity eighteen years and was bowed together and could in no wise lift herself up. She was in the house of God though. You see, it's verse 10 that gives you hope. Jesus Christ was in the synagogue teaching the Word of God and in comes this little lady that was bent over and the reason that she came in was because she still had hope. 
My friend, there's a lot of people that are bound by sin in this world. A lot of them give up. They give out, they give in, they turn out to the world and they never look back. Some of them never darken the doors of the house of God. They're not interested in God. I used to be one of those people. I had, had no, no patience for the people of God, the house of God, the Word of God, the God of those places. I, I just, you know, I tried that when I was a little boy and then I saw my world fall apart and I, I too was a little angry at God. I, I know how that feels. And I wasn't looking for Him, but I am so thankful that He came looking for me. Amen. And I believe that He knew. It says, look again at verse 10. It says, and He was teaching in one of. That means there were many. At least more than one. He could have chose the other. He could have went to another synagogue to teach. Do you think that He knew the little lady was going to be in that place at that time on that day? And that He purposefully, yes, I must needs go through Samaria. And when he went through Samaria, he stopped by a well and there was a lady at the well that was drawing water. And he says, hey lady, would you get me a drink of water? And he said, whoa. She said, whoa, wait. How how you being a Jew are going to ask me, a Samaritan, for a glass of water when the Jews don't have any dealings with us? But I'm telling you that Jesus told His disciples, I must needs go through Samaria. He knew who was going to be at that well. And He told her, He says, lady, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for a drink of water. And she says, you ain't, even got a, you ain't even got a bucket or a rope. See, she's thinking physical when he's talking spiritual. There's so many people that make that mistake. They look at the Word of God in a physical realm through physical eyes and miss out on the spiritual reality. The truth of what the Word of God is talking about. So Jesus showed up in the Word of God at the right, in the house of God at the right time. Synagogue at the right place, knowing that this woman who had hope in her heart was going to show up and hear his word. I don't know. Maybe, maybe she heard. It's kind of like Jay Iris down at the boat dock. He heard that Jesus was coming. His little boy or little girl was, uh, was about to die. And he showed up down there waiting on him to get off the boat. And he comes up to him and asks him, Sir, come to my house, please. My child is about to die. And you know the story of J. Iris, how he followed J. Iris all the way to the house and the little boy had died. You see, you seem like you would seem like there was no hope in a situation like that. But Jesus, when the people came and said, Don't bother the master anymore. Your child's dead. Don't bother the master. See, there is no bother to God. There is no bother to Christ. There is always hope. You see, we are spiritually dead in this life. We may be physically alive, soulishly active, but spiritually dead until God shows up, reaches in our heart, illuminates, regenerates, draws us to Himself. He said, show me the way. Take me to your house. It doesn't matter. I I am the resurrection of life. I think I preached that the other day. I am the resurrection of life. Though a man were dead, though a child were dead, yet shall he live. Believest thou this? So they led him to the house and he went in and certainly the little girl was dead. And he says, Tabitha, Tetelestai, arise. And her heart started beating and she caught a breath and she opened her eyes and she sat up on the bed where she was laying dead. Has that ever happened to you? I guess this would have been a good Easter sermon too, right? Resurrection of the dead. 
God reached in my heart, illuminated my mind, regenerated my soul, drew me to Himself and saved me. He did the same thing to this little lady. She wasn't physically dead, but she was spiritually dead. And and her malady being bowed over, bent over and unable to straighten herself out was a picture of my spiritual death where I was unable to fix what it was that was wrong with me. And I had no hope until God showed up. He didn't didn't come to a synagogue like this lady looking for me. He didn't come to a church looking for me. He came to a prison looking for me. And He reached into a jail cell. He reached into my heart. He illuminated my mind. He saved my soul. He resurrected me from the dead. And I was not hopeful before, but God, I am so thankful for the hope that I have in my heart and in my life today. Not only for myself, but for others. That if God can do that for the likes of me, that He can do it for anybody that He chooses. That all He has to do is show up at the right place at the right time. And by the way, He's not limited by His physical body anymore the way that He was when He was a a living, breathing human being on the face of this earth. He can show up in all of the synagogues now at the exact same time. Reach into any heart that He likes. And touch and illuminate. You look at verse 12. We'll proceed just a little farther. It says, And when Jesus saw her, He called her to Himself. You see, not only are we hopeful, but one of the reasons that we have hope is because we've been invited. You see, the Word of God says, Come. The the, the Spirit say, Come. The bride, the church says, Come. To who? Every man, woman, boy, and girl on the face of the earth. Let them come and bend the knee and bow the head and surrender their hearts, their lives, everything that they are, to everything that He is. We understand that they have no desire to do that until God moves in their heart. But there is that invitation to every person on the planet. Won't you come? Won't you give Him your heart? Won't you, won't you give Him your life? Some say yes, some say no. What's the difference between the two? God... God, that's the only answer I have. It's not human. If it's human, then salvation is meritorious. One does something that the other one doesn't and he's better than they are. That's that's insanity. My friend, I'll tell you what, all are invited. You come, give your heart, give your life, everything that you are to everything that he is. He was her heart. You see, that's why he was her hope. That's why she came to the house of God, to the synagogue. Sometimes He even uses our infirmities. He uses our ailments. He uses the pain and the suffering and the heartache and the things that are going on in our homes and our families and our lives and our bodies. Now sometimes ailments come because of sin. Sometimes they come because like the blind man sitting on the side of the road that God healed. And remember in in chapter 9 of John... Who was it that healed you on the Sabbath day? Was it because of his sin or his mama or his daddy's sin? No, it was for the glory of God. Sometimes things happen in our lives that aren't because of something we've done wrong, but because of God deserving something out of our lives. You look at verse 13. We see the crooked. We see the helpless. We see the hopeful. We see the invited But you also see in verse 13, see the touched and He laid hands on her. 
And immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Have you ever been touched by the Holy Spirit of God? I'm not saying has God showed up physically in your life and reached out and laid hands on you. But I remember the touch of God in my heart when He illuminated my mind and regenerated my soul. I I can forget a lot of stuff. People know that I'm having little struggles every once in a while with uh, my memory. My uh, wife uh, is is the better part of my memory these days. And I thank God for that. She reminds me of a lot of things that I need to do. Some things that I want to forget. Not always. But I am thankful that I never forgot the day that Jesus Christ touched my heart. I don't think I can, I don't think however bad it gets, I don't think I could ever forget that. When Jesus shows up in your life and changes not only your destiny from hell to heaven, but when He changes who you are fundamentally from the inside out, He changed everything there was about me with just a simple touch. That simple touch changed my heart from stone to flesh. He changed me from hatred to love. He changed me from unconcerned to, to literally, really, genuinely caring. Oh, not so much about myself, but about His glory and His honor and about other people's destinies, whether they were going to make it to heaven or not. He touched me. He delivered me. Same thing when it says He laid His hands on her in verse 13. It says... Thou art loosed. Thou art loosed. He laid His hands on her and immediately she was made manifest. And in verse 12, Jesus saw her, called her, and said unto her, Woman, thou art loosed from thine iniquity. Do you understand? That's, that's deliverance. That I have been delivered from the bondage of sin. From the slave market of sin. I've been delivered from the death that had me bound that held me in captivity. He delivered my soul. Verse 16 says this, And ought not this woman, being the daughter, remember, you loosed the ox, you loosed the ass from the stall, and you lead them away to water, you lead them to food, you, you release them. And he says, if you're going to release them, ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound, lo, all these 18 years, shouldn't she be loosed as well from the bond, this bondage? What is? You see, people talk about the freedom of the will and the freedom that we have. And God can't encrouch on my freedom and my liberty. My friend, if God doesn't encrouch or encroach on your freedom and your bondage, then you are still bound in your iniquity and separated from God. You say, oh, the Holy Spirit is a gentleman and He doesn't kick a door open. He just gently taps on it and now it's up to you. Listen, if He didn't kick the door open to my heart, I would have never came to Christ. He showed up in a jail cell and interrupted my world, interrupted my life, illuminated my mind, regenerated my soul, and drew me to Himself. He delivered me. You see, it's not that He did something in order. Some people talk about throwing a life jacket or something to a drowning man. Man, we ain't drowning. We're dead. 
We have sank to the bottom of the ocean and our lungs are so full of water, there's no room for oxygen. He dives in, swims to the bottom, drags us to the top, squeezes out the water and breathes into our nostrils the breath of life. He gives us life. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Not of works. Lest any man should boast, pat himself on the back. Oh, what a good boy I was. I grabbed the life jacket. He sent me a gift in the mail and I had to go out to the mailbox and receive it. My friend, you are in the house dead and you cannot go to the mailbox to receive anything. God implants the gift in your heart. You're delivered by the grace of God. Lastly, you see this. You look at verse 13. He laid His hands on her, and the Bible says this, and immediately she was made straight, and then she did what? (laughs) She glorified God. She didn't glorify herself for making the right decision, going to the right synagogue, you know, showing up at the right place at the right time to hear the right word that Jesus Christ might, you know, do something for her. No. You see, we give God the glory for our salvation. There's not a person in this room that would receive the glory from God for what He did in our hearts and our lives. And yet, on the flip side of that coin, I know thousands of people who say, yes, Jesus died for me. But I had faith in Christ. It was my faith. My friend, it's only yours because God gave it to you. It didn't come from you. It didn't originate in you. We should be grateful, not for the opportunity to be saved, but we should be grateful for salvation itself. God died for me, not for a plan. God died for me, and He came back after what He died for. In the power of the Holy Spirit, He found me where I was, not looking for Him. He reached into my heart. He illuminated my mind. He regenerated me and drew me to Himself. And then I bent a knee and bowed the head and surrendered my heart and my life to Him. I only did that because of the work He had done on the cross, because of the work that He did in my heart. Let's pray. Father, we love You. We thank You for making us straight. You change us, God, from who we were to who we are. God, hopefully to who You want us to be. God, we realize that we still have the old nature alive on the inside of us. But God, we thank You for the new nature, the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us. Help us, O God, to fight it with every inch, every ounce, every fiber of our being to struggle against the old nature, the sin of this world, this godless system. God, we pray that the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us, the new nature that You've given us, will overpower us and bring us into subjection. God, we'll give You and You alone the praise and the glory for who You are and what You do. And we pray this in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen.